My name is Owen Flynn and you're listening to episode 9 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast. Welcome everybody to episode 9 of Trail Running Ireland and we have a super exciting show this week. We head first of all down to Limerick to chat to the secretary of the Irish Mountain Running Association and a fine ultra runner in his own right, Richard Noonan, to get the results from the trial race for the Irish team for the long distance mountain running world championships in Lanzarote, which amazingly, as of now, still have a green light to go ahead. We chat to coach René Borg about the importance of the long run in training and finally we talk to the hottest property in Irish mountain running over the shorter distances at the moment the superb athlete Zach Hanna everybody get your running gear on let's go Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome to episode 9 of Trail Running Ireland. I hope you're all in good form, enjoying your training, enjoying your racing, and the legs are all feeling fantastic. We've got a really super show lined up this week, and for the first time we're going to go down live to Limerick to get the race results of the trial race for the World Championships Long Distance Mountain Running in Lanzarote in November, and we're going to chat to the Secretary of the Irish Mountain Running Association, Richard Noonan, who's a fantastic ultra and trail runner himself he's, he's completed the UTMB he's been the manager of the Irish trail running team as well before and he's a great guy he, himself and the committee do an awful lot of hard work for the Irish Mountain Running Association We'll go down to Richard very, very shortly. And before we do, just a big shout out, as always, to our show sponsor, Eco Trail Wicklow, taking place on September 26th this year. A lot of their races are already sold out, with the 29K sold out and the 18K about to sell out, if not already sold out. Now, they did say during the week that, unfortunately, they need the limit on sporting events and participation levels to raise from its current limit of 200 to 400 to 500 in order for the race to go ahead so fingers crossed fingers crossed everybody that we will see the COVID-19 numbers stay low and we can progress um, especially with our sporting events in mind but speaking of sporting events there's been a fantastic day of racing down in Limerick and let's go down live to Secretary of the Irish Mountain Running Association Richard Noonan show thanks very much on uh, nice to be on the show thanks for having me on a uh, lovely day down here in limerick the weather is absolutely superb so big surprise to us all today but um you know just makes it a, an even better day for racing and i believe it was an incredible day's racing richard with a couple of comeback performances yeah an incredible race um incredible lineup uh probably the biggest lineup that we had you know kind of went really well expecting like comparing to 12 last year there was um over 40 competitors this year so and um i think actually that you know even though there was a big lineup we're a little bit restricted as you know because of the COVID. so uh probably had a little bit of an impact so not as strong a field 
um, in one sense, is that, you know, that we were kind of hoping for. But then another sense, it actually brought out a couple of new people who have obviously not had a huge opportunity to race this year. So a bit of a mix. Like, for example, we would have had um, normally, obviously, you can't travel, you know, from places like England, Scotland, where a number of our you know, top runners are the States where one of our top runners are, are located. So uh, the likes of Paddy, you know, Nicola, Owen Lennon um, aren't in the lineup, but a bit of a surprise as well not to see the the round record holder, Gavin Byrne, not, not on the start line, but he was probably busy last weekend trying to break the record up in the, the ranking round. So busy, busy for all of them, you know, but still a very strong lineup and a couple of nice surprises for us today. Sure. Well, you know, you mentioned the likes of Paddy O'Leary, who we've had on the show, Nicola Duncan, who, we, who we've had on the show as well. Unfortunately, couldn't make it back due to the COVID-19 restrictions. But for the people that were there today, how did the results go? Maybe if you start off with the ladies first, um, who got into those invaluable top two positions and booked their tickets to the World Championships in Lanzarote, if, of course, they get to go ahead in November? Who, who were the top two in the ladies? So the, the top two was a surprise. Nicola Sargent was the top lady home. Um, Becky Quinn was the second lady home for us today. Um, in fairness, I'm not really sure. I think the times might have been impacted slightly by the by the heat, but um, I think it's left the selection committee with a bit of a conundrum. Uh, the times are a little bit slow. Actually, I think Becky is 10 minutes down on her time last year, if I'm not mistaken, and I finished behind her last year, so I should know that quite well. Um, so not really sure. Actually, Nicholas Rosen was a surprise. I think she's actually here because of lockdown. So she's from Ashford, and uh, she was supposed to be traveling back to the UK, but had made the decision to stay kind of working from home in Ireland. So she's been training away. So I saw she... Um, she participated in the Wednesday night race there the week before last, and then she, you know, it was good to see her on the lineup then for this week. So that's paid off for her. So she came home, Nicholas Surgeon, as opposed to Nicola Duncan, because um, I think that we don't want to get the Nicholas kind of confused um, at this stage. So a good race. Um, I mean, again, very hot, very warm. So I'd say that would have made had a bit of an impact on on the times, but the same course as last year. So um, you know, Becky would have been well used to the. The climb and and the road and the and the forest descent. So she would have um, she should have made good ground um, on last year. So good race, good race. She, she's an experienced runner, Becky as well. I know she's been at the last two World Championships as well in Andorra. She had a good run and she had a very good run in the World Championships in Argentina last November, where she was the second place Irish lady home. So I'm sure she'll be delighted to, to get that consistency and to get another, hopefully, cap for Ireland come November in the World Championships. Um, and I'm sure, I know from talking to Nicola during the week as well, Nicola Duncan over in Scotland, I'm sure she was she was very disappointed that she wasn't able to make it home given the COVID-19 restrictions. But hopefully, hopefully she might get one of those places after her good performances over the last couple of years as well. Over, it's over. Over to the committee now, Richard, as you know. Moving on to the men's race. How did the men's yeah. race go? Because I mentioned at the top of the interview that we had a couple of experienced veterans lining up today. And boy, did they deliver. Absolutely. I mean, the guys' race was a hard race. Um, we know a couple of them, obviously. Nice, actually, to see Mark Wolf. There actually is quite an experienced uh, adventure racer from from down this part of the woods. Uh, I think from my from my memory, he's actually um, located in Bantry, and uh, his boys are quite good mountain bikers. So he's a very good all rounder. So great to see him have a strong run. Um, I suppose I was kind of watching it more for Ian. Um, 
Ian can have, you know, can go hot and cold, but he's very strong. He's had a couple of injuries kind of over the last year, so it'll be interesting. And and the other person was uh, obviously Barry Minnock, who has had some exceptional pedigree over the last couple of years on the mountains, and of course, as you know well, uh, on on the on the flats, you know, being the third placed marathon runner there in um, was it 2016 or 2017? Sorry, my brain. Uh, can't remember all, all the facts. Um, yeah, Barry's a he's a two-hour seventeen-minute uh, marathon man, Richard, and he's got as high as silver medal in the national marathon championship. So he, he has great pedigree. I know he's been struggling with injuries over the last couple of years, but it looks like he had the comebacks of all comebacks yesterday, and that innate strength that Barry had, I think, came to the fore. And was he second, Richard, in the end? Second in the end, yeah. A um, couple of minutes splitting between himself and uh, Ian Bailey. So Ian Bailey, first man home, absolutely ecstatic, punch in the air, delighted with a, you know his result to be first home after the kind of injuries had. Barry uh, came in then just a couple of minutes behind. So a great run for Barry. Like I was kind of nervous. I think it, for Barry on after you know the remember he was at the trials last year and he was kind of really not able to hit form. So, I mean, yesterday he was in fantastic form on a testing course in that heat. So, superb result for Barry, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I know Ian as well. As you said, he's he's ran, he's ran the, the Morris Mullins over the years and he's won it. He's been on the podium a couple of times. He's been away with the Irish team before in World Championships. So, he's got great pedigree again. So, uh, great to see Ian Bailey back doing so well and booking his ticket for the World Championships. What about the, the third and fourth positions, um, Richard? And were they within or were they close to the three hours, 20-minute timeline? How how difficult is it going to be for the committee now with those third and fourth spots? Yeah, I think Conor O'Keefe and uh, would have been third place. Uh, like he's, you know, he's he's a bit back. He's about ten minutes back. In times and then the, the the trackers kind of jumped a little bit. So just would like to have that when Robbie and the team get that together. Uh, closely followed by Ricky. I mean, Ricky's had great performances on the on the Kerryway Ultra. And then the gentleman I mentioned earlier, Mark, came in fifth. Uh, the surprise for me actually then was Brian Fury, if you remember last year, was second over the line behind um, Gavin. So Brian knows the course quite well, you know, but I think the heat, you know, I think his pace at the start, just he just didn't seem to get it together. So haven't chatted to him yet, but it, it looks like that Brian had a bit of a tough day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, listen, Richard, I mean, it, it sounds like it was a tough day for some, but at least given everything that's gone on over the last couple of months, at least we were out there racing that Robbie Williams and the race team, they got it up and running. Um, it was a great success and uh, great to see so many of the Imra family out there. Um, speaking of Imra, Richard, I know yourself and the committee have been working extremely hard over the last couple of months to try and get the calendar back together. And while we thought maybe we were, we had the green light to, to fully move on into the months of August and September, October, I know you're busy probably getting your own race, the Morris Mullins, um, ready to go as well. You're the race director of that. But I think the events over the last couple of days with the local localised restrictions just go to show that we still need to be on top of things. Um, how do yourself and the committee feel about the, the calendar um, for, the, for the coming months? Yeah, I think... 
you know, we put the firstly to say I, I don't know how Robbie starts to have his races, but always he seems to have the good weather at every event, so uh, that's definitely helping him. Um, but yeah, the feedback has been fantastic from everybody. Just the main thing is just to get back racing. So, uh, been a tough, I think, a tough couple of months for the committee. Um, we probably, you know, we probably talk every day at this stage because the the sands keep shifting. You know, the rule, the kind of the the phases keep changing. So while we started to get excited about getting us back racing, then it seems to have paused a little over the last couple of weeks. So. You know, we're still down around the, the restriction of 100 uh, people per races, but, you know, that's been quite well received. Um, you know, the people that want to get out onto the hills are getting out onto the hills. And, you know, we have been able to facilitate that. So it's fantastic, which is much better than having no races. Um, you know, we've we've a couple left, as you said, the the Morris Mullen. Now we separated the trail and the ultra because you're very cognizant that the phase five mightn't happen. So that's why we kind of separated those two races to make sure that we could kind of keep it at the, the 200 uh, number that we're currently in. And we kind of were worried that we would never get to the 500. So we've already made the provisions for those races to go ahead. So, you know, we're, as I, it's look, it's still kind of changing, as you know, very well. I mean, yesterday, not sure if you, you heard, but they've, you know, they've tied down three counties, so there's no competition in Kildare, Leash and Offaly. So we've had to kind of say to people from those counties not to come to the races, unfortunately, over the next couple of days. So that will kind of give you an indication of the, you know, it's every day, every hour. Uh, the community probably meet on Zoom every two weeks or numerous emails per day just trying to get, you know, you know just make sure that race directors have all the information that they need to make sure that the events can go ahead safely for everybody so that we can continue to race for the next couple of months. Well, I know, Richard, certainly over the last couple of years and for a long time now, the, the Irish Mountain Running Association, they've organised great safe races um, all through the year. Um, the summer leagues are a great success in Leinster and, of course, down in Munster as well. And just, Richard, for anybody maybe that's listening that isn't familiar with the Irish Mountain Running Association and, you know, fingers crossed, things get back to normal sooner rather than later, where can people go to get information about Imre? Yeah, so the imra.ie is kind of the source of all the information you need. Um, IMRA itself is a voluntary organization. You know, we, we run 70 to 100 races per year. But I just want to, you know, emphasize that we are a voluntary, you know, organization. And the work that all the committee have had to put in this year and previous years has been outstanding. So while it looks like we don't have a whole lot of races on the calendar, um, every single one of the committee, like, is so committed to, you know, contributing and communicating on a daily basis just to make sure that we get these races right so i think it's a I think it's very important that we call out the constant commitment of that volunteer organization which is the imra committee yeah absolutely and i know if anybody is listening and, they, and if they have their laptop open if they go to the imra.ie website i have it open here in front of me as i'm talking to you richard and it's Good, such a, a comprehensive website with news with the famous calendar as well that has all the races listed there's a photograph database there's a runner's database there's the forum as well to get all the latest information so it, it really is a, a well-run ship and uh, just you know a, a quick thank you to all the committee who who, who, as you said, do tremendous work during the year and put on all those fabulous races. And and I'll say a big thank you to yourself as well for, for taking time out um, this evening. Enjoy the weekend with the family and um, safe trip back home. We look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you, Owen. Thanks again. All the best, Richard, and good luck with your own train.
My name's Sarah McCormack. My name is Brian Fury. My name is Nicola Duncan. My name is Zach Hanna. My name is Mark Ryan. I'm a mountain runner. 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 Hi, my name is Harriet and I'm a mountain runner. You're listening to Trail Running Ireland. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And once again, we've just heard the voices of the Irish trail and mountain running team, which means it's time to call in Rene Borg. Rene, good to have you back this week. Yeah, good afternoon. Nice to have had a break. And uh, I was glad to see that uh, you had Jason on board in my place. Yeah, he did a great job for us, Jason, Rene. Um, he certainly gave me some good tips um, offline as well about just getting over some of the little niggles that I have. And uh, thankfully, it's been working. So if anybody has any injuries or little niggles, make sure to, to check Jason out in jktherapy.ie. He's just an often talent. But Rene, what we were going to talk about today was... Everybody, I'm sure, is ramping up their training now. If they're not racing already, they're about to race at the end of August, September, October. And one of the most important sessions in the training week or in the training period, whatever it might be, a seven-day period, a 10-day period, whatever you're working off, is the long run, which typically in Ireland has been the Sunday long run. So today I I was thinking we might maybe delve into what exactly is the long run and when we should do it. So maybe to, to, to start off, Rennie, could you actually give us a definition of what the long run is? Yes, I can try, um, because there's not a set one, obviously, like most things with running, but you know, as you say, traditionally, people have a, the, what would you say, definition in their mind is it's a kind of a two-hour run that's done on the Sunday. Um, but really, you know, a long run is is relative and it tends to be defined as a run that makes up about 20 to 30% of your total weekly mileage. And that's obviously because some runners, um, when they start out, they're not running a lot. So if they cram too much into one run, it's too damaging for them, you know, because it's too big a proportion of of what they do overall. Um, But really, you know, there's some books like there's a very good one called advanced marathoning by an American elite runner called Pete Fitzinger, which you might be familiar with. And he, he said he, he defined what he called medium long runs and long runs. And I use that terminology myself because it just gives you um, a way to distinguish. So medium long runs for me is anything between 60 and kind of 90 minutes um, uh, for shorter races. And then anything much over that, I would call a long run. And um, so, for ultra distances and all the really long trail races that we have coming up now in September, um, it can be something entirely different, right? You know, you go well beyond the two to three hours that people might know from marathon training. Uh, you execute them quite differently. You know, you're not just doing big loops of the of the Phoenix Park or somewhere like that at a good steady tempo. It can be completely different. Um, but yeah, the basic definition is it's it's a it's a really a run much over 90 minutes, generally done at an easy pace, but there's other ways to do them as well. And it should make up 20 to 30% of your weekly mileage. Yeah, that's a very good gauge, isn't it? 20 to 30% of whatever you're doing per week. I know a lot of people, Rene, would be coming maybe from running backgrounds, marathon backgrounds. So they've probably read up on, on what the long run is and the benefits of it. Maybe could you talk to us about what the benefits of the long run is? And maybe if we could focus in on the benefits for the trail runners. 
Yeah, we can start with the, like the simple superficial uh, benefits, which is that you know it's we are long distance runners, so that means we need to generally go quite long. So if you don't experience the duration um, and the distances that you're going to race at in your training, then the race itself is going to be extremely tough, and your body won't be prepared. You know, so for instance, we all know if you have to run three hours, let's say, to finish a marathon, then you probably at some stage in training need to experience at least close to, to three hours. Uh, if not, you don't always need to go 100% of the distance. You know, you don't necessarily run 42K to prepare for the marathon because we know the body builds in a reserve, you know, and you don't want to spend too much time recovering from your runs either. Um, but you do need endurance, um, and that only comes by getting the experience of being out on your feet for a long time. In terms of the physiology, we know that once you kind of reach 90 minutes of continuous exercise, most of the body's stores of sugar have been burned off. And this is the point where there's kind of a crisis, you could say, for the system. And that's what triggers a response, you know, afterwards. So it's a little bit like, you know, maybe very topical to the media at the moment. It's a little bit like a vaccination, uh, you know, for, um, for the type of fatigue that you experience once you run into the second hour. So you you can only really get that effect in two ways. You can get it by running over 90 minutes in one go, uh, which is where the long run comes in. And you can do it by just in general running a lot uh, of miles or a lot of hours. Because obviously, if you go out today and you run one hour and next day you run, let's say, uh, 90 minutes and the next day you run 60, you're not recovering fully every single day. So you can also... Sometimes you will start, let's say, a one-hour run slightly depleted uh, because you did a longer run the day before. And that way you can get the same benefit. But the long run is the simplest way for most people um, to get into that crisis um, of energy, you know, and get what they call fat burning stimulated. Because once the body runs out of sugar, it has to fall back on the, the fat burning to, to cover that shortfall. And the better you do that, the less of a chance that you experience, you know, what people call the bonk uh, at the end of long races where nothing is functioning. I think it's safe to say as well, of course, that it just builds stronger muscles as well because running for prolonged periods increases the strength of leg muscles and connective tissues and also the respiratory system as well. And that even though it might be counterintuitive that we're running slow, on our two three hour runs it can actually just make us run faster as well come race day because we've just developed this built-in strength from being on our feet for three hours or two hours whatever it might be yeah that's an interesting point actually because i remember that from one of the seminars i did early in my coaching career this because you know you talk so much about energy but you forget the muscles and um, the good thing about a long run is that the, the muscle fibers that you might be using most, the ones that are most well-trained and most efficient, they get tired out at a certain stage during long runs. And that means they basically switch off because they can't do anymore. And that then forces the, the brain to say, well, I need to recruit something else. So to recruit other fibers that you don't use so often. And that means those fibers then get trained in a way. And it gives you a bigger army of muscle fibers to pull from them. And, and that's why sometimes you actually get faster in races from this slow training. Um, as a, the only way to otherwise do that is to just run a lot full stop, because then you will do quite a lot of your runs where you're already tired. And that means not all your soldiers are available for battle from minute one of the run. So, you know, the body goes to, to look at something else. 
Yeah, and I think we've we've often heard anecdotal evidence, Remy, over the years of people who maybe are just coming back from injury, who do a big, slow endurance build-up, lots of long runs, and with very little sessions or speed work, they can actually perform extremely well if they're coming into a race just off a big, 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 big endurance build-up. Yeah, I would personally have a lot of experience running personal bests just off the base phase, you know, of, of, of easy, long and steady running. And I think a lot of people have that experience, which just what that shows you is that most of the performance that you can get out of a race, and this is what the research shows as well, comes from the volume. And the long run is obviously, it's a big part of that volume. Um, so it, it's very hard to to achieve volume without it. But it also means the long run is not the be-all, end-all. Um, because if you do long runs that are so hard and so long that they just, you know, they impact your consistency, you know, and, and they actually impact your overall volume over time because you're laid up for four or five days after your long runs, yeah. th then they're too much, you know, and then they, they don't actually give you that benefit because they, you lose the consistency after, you know, so it's no good if, if all you do is a long run and then you just do a few little low quality runs during the week, then you probably should scale back the long run so that your average improves. Yeah. Another benefit, um, Renny, as well, might be it develops mental toughness, I think, as well, doesn't it? It builds resilience because at the end of the day, if you can get through numerous runs of two, three, four hours building up to your trail race, that's going to make you super strong mentally as well. So when it comes to race day, you'll have the experience of all those long runs in the bank and you should be able to get through the race. Yeah, you get a lot of physiologists now who say long runs are not so important, you know, and, and you can get away without them, et cetera, et cetera, and, and low mileage approaches. But I think what you can't get is what you described there. You can't get that psychological preparedness and the toughness to how you're going to feel and when you're really, really tired and, and, and still have to keep going, still have to find kind of a, find some muscles that work basically to keep moving forward. Um, and it's especially important if we look at the trail races that are coming up, you know, so just here in Ireland, you know, we've got a lot now. We've got the Kerryway Ultra, we've got the Morris Mullins, 25K, 50K. We've got the whole Eco Trail series, of course. Um, and there's a number of other trail half marathons, I think, Ballyhora, Galti, Knock Mail Down. So there's a lot of these types of races coming up where you, because they're trail races, you're going to be out there even longer than the distance suggests. And while you might be able to get through those races um, if you have a reasonable mileage, but not necessarily very long runs, the first time you're going to really feel the type of tiredness you feel after two hours or three hours or longer is going to be in the race then. And I don't think that's ideal. So, for instance, if we look at the training plans we released um, today for the 45 and the 80K, uh, and even the ones we released for the Ecotrail 18 and 29K, there are some runs in those plans that are quite a lot longer than what roadrunners are used to. You know, so roadrunners generally top out at two hours for the shorter distances and between two and three hours for the marathon. Um, but there will be runs in some of these plans where you see kind of four hours, five hours, you know, and for the 80K, even up to seven, seven hours. And some people will look at that and say, wow, if I do that, I'm not going to be training for two weeks. Um, but the, the good thing about doing... Uh, 
a long outing, I would rather call it, on trails and hills is that you don't run all of it um, because the terrain varies. There's very steep gradients. So you'll do quite a lot of, of walking and hiking. And this is a very old workout. You can go back and look at training diaries of all sorts of ultra runners and mountain runners who did very well. And you can see that they do these unusually long days on the trail, which you would think would just kill them off for a week or two. But they don't because they keep the pace down and they walk significant portions, you know, maybe up to 20 to 25 percent. But they're still getting a huge benefit because they get used to this idea that, well, I'm out on the I'm out on the hills for half a day nearly or a quarter of a day or whatever it is. And I'm on my feet and you get used to all the logistics of that as well. You know what pack to carry, how to drink, how to eat for that sort of distance. And there's just no way to get that experience if you only practice it in on race day itself yeah it's a very good point Renny, isn't it just for anybody that's coming from the roads and that might be used to a two-hour sunday run in the phoenix park or whatever that not to be afraid when they see three hours or even four hours on a trail running training plan that they will actually get through it okay and a long sunday run in the mountains is very, very different to a long Sunday run preparing for a road marathon. Um, one point that I wanted to touch on, Remy, as well was not to confuse maybe doing a long tempo run on a Saturday and then also doing a long Sunday run the, the following day as well. Because sometimes maybe we can try and do both, but if we're doing maybe a 60-minute tempo run in, in the mountains, between our warm-up and our cool-down, we could easily be hitting two hours. So it mightn't actually be the most beneficial to go out and do three hours the following day. That sometimes, if we have a hard tempo training session or even a hard race on the Saturday, it's okay to back off for maybe 48 hours, three days, and hold off on doing that long Sunday run in, uh, in inverted commas until maybe the Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah, maybe the best way to outline that is to think of the function of the long run. So when a long run is done early on, it's done quite easy. You know, it's often done at least 20% slower than what would be most people's marathon pace or effort. It's a general endurance run. So it means it's not a major session in itself. And if it's done correctly, you are recovered within 24 to 48 hours. But it also means it's not a specific run so it, when you get into the specific training it's only there to maintain basic fitness and that means it's not meant to take a lot out of you so traditionally for instance for 10k if you're training for 10k trail race or something like that once you get in and you start doing a lot of really hard sessions the the long run for for starters has to become a lot easier so you dose the pace down further and sometimes as you say it'll even go away completely for instance if you're doing a very very hard um, race the day before it might be counterproductive to go out and, and, and force yourself to do two hours just because it's a habit that you have you know you could either skip it altogether or you could do it a lot shorter and easier than normal but for long distances it's actually different because when you in the beginning of training if you're training let's say for a 50k race the the long run could actually be faster than your race pace so it's nearly a speed session from the beginning uh, and that means once you get from the general training and you get close to race day into the specific training, the most specific workout for you is not intervals in the track and tempos and things like that. It's actually doing something with the long run. Uh, so you could add more race specific pace into it, for instance, you know, so it's both long and somewhat hard and um, you could add in 
your intervals or your tempos or your hill sprints into the long run. So in a way, they're all in there. And when you have a run like that, that's both long and hard, you can't recover in 48 hours. You know, it's not reasonable. Um, and this is something you see a lot in really modern elite marathon training. They have these very long, extensive sessions. But then they also take four to five days easy running after. They don't keep the interval session on Tuesday, 48 hours after a long progression run, let's say. Yeah. You know, so that's that's kind of the thing to be aware of with it. You do need to adjust everything um, around the long run. But just to summarize, Owen, in the beginning of training, it should be a medium workout. You should recover within 24 to 48 hours. If you train for really long distances, the long run itself becomes more race specific. And then you could need four to five days recovery. Yeah. Maybe one last point, Rene. What advice do you give your clients regarding the morning of their long run? Should they go out without having breakfast or should they go out with breakfast? And what gels or what food do they need to bring? Now, I know that's maybe very hard to answer in one general statement. Everybody's going to be different. But what tips or advice can you give on that subject? Well, I can tell you what we did with the trailblazers um, for EcoTrail because that's, they had all different backgrounds and I wanted to give them more or less the same advice for long runs. Um, so generally for long runs, they, they are most effective if they're done fasted, which just means that you don't eat breakfast before you go out and do it. You know, you have some water, uh, maybe a coffee or tea, something like that, and then you go. And the reason is that you don't want to suppress fat burning, which is what you tend to be looking for in most of the long runs by filling yourself up, let's say, you know, with porridge or cereal or something uh, straight before. But that being said, a lot of people aren't ready to jump right into that because they they actually are not used, their fat burning is so poor that they crash very early and then the whole run just becomes a zombie walk. So what I tell people when they start experimenting with this is carry a bar or something um, in your bag or whatever you have, your pocket. And the first time you feel that energy crisis, which tends to be between 60 to 90 minutes when people first try this out, have a bite of that bar, eat the whole bar, and then finish the run. And if you do that over a number of weeks, usually what people find is that they grab for the bar later and later, and eventually they don't grab for it at all. And I think it's also a bit of a psychological comfort in the beginning, especially if you do a long hill run where you might be afraid that, well, if I'm out there on the middle of the hill and suddenly I just totally crash, will I be able to get myself safely home? You know, will I be staggering on the hills for hours to get back to the car? So you, you know, so you have that safety blanket and very handy as well, you know, if you sprain an ankle during your long hill run and you do have to take a long time to get home. Yeah, no, great advice, Rene. And and just maybe one final point that we haven't mentioned is that, of course, the, the long run can be so enjoyable, can't it? I mean, some of the best training memories that I have over the last 15, 16 years is running with my friends, say, from Matt Farnham around the Phoenix Park on a, on a Sunday morning and just chilling out, you know, catching up on the football the night before or what happened during the week, whatever it might be. So it can be a very sociable training session as well and very enjoyable, can't it? I think for most clubs, the Sunday long run uh, is the, the most social run. That's certainly been my experience as well. Um, and it's very suited for that as long as you have enough people that you have, you know, the, the right um, a 
liability groups. You know, you have someone there who is not just dragging you along Sunday after Sunday. So you are huffing and puffing and, and they're chatting away. That's obviously not ideal. Um, but also for the hill runs, especially, you know, it, it can just be a really nice day out and you can get a lot of endurance without feeling the strain or the pressure to, you know, have to knock off uh, split after split at a certain pace because that's what you think you need for your marathon. You know, so when you're training long runs for the hills it, it's a great break you know and I, actually for a lot of my marathoners Owen I give them long hill runs every now and again just to take a break from the split chasing yeah and I'll, I'll often get an email where they'll say you know oh thanks for that you know I really needed to switch off yeah well listen really I feel like putting on my shoes and going out for my long run now after that fantastic chat so Renny thanks a million for the input this week and um, good luck with your own training now over the next couple of days as well and we'll catch up next time thanks a million Renny all right Owen talk to you For our feature interview this week, I'm delighted to have on the show a teammate from the last couple of years with the Irish mountain running team, Zach Hanna. What a spectacular couple of years Zach has had. Zach was a very talented junior cyclist um, who was on numerous podiums in cycling races all around the country. And thankfully for us mountain runners, he switched over to mountain running. And boy, has he had some spectacular results over the last couple of years. He's been top 20 in in Europe and he's had some outstanding results in the world championships as well he was sixth in the world mountain running associations world cup last year as well and he's not a bad cross-country runner either claiming the national novice cross-country title in December 2018 as well he's a Salomon athlete and I'm delighted to have him on the show so let's dial in Zach Hanna Zach you're very welcome to trail running Ireland how's it going mate I'm good, Owen. Thanks for having me. Glad to be on. Zach, an absolute pleasure to have you on. Certainly, in my opinion and in the opinion of many, the undisputed number one mountain runner in Ireland over the last couple of years, certainly in the shorter course races anyway. So uh, great to have you on, Zach. Thank you. Zach, we'll get into maybe all of those fantastic performances over the last four or five years, and maybe in the second half of the interview. But let's get straight into it because... You're back from an incredible racing weekend in Malono, in northern Italy, in the mountains of Valca Monica, um, competing against a lot of the best runners from Europe and a lot of the big, strong Italian runners as well, who, who are the, one of the powerhouses in world mountain running. How did the weekend go for you, Zach? It, it went very well. It was it actually went better than what I thought it was going to. Um, I was... I was nervous going out to race because one, it had been so long since I had been raced in the continent, and two, it was my second race back after the whole lockdown. And even still, I, I knew myself I was in sort of half decent shape, and it's hard to to gauge where exactly where you are. I think going into a race like that, especially over two days, I had never raced back to back before, so. It was going into the unknown of how to how to recover and prepare in between two very very tough races, you know. But sure. yeah, very very happy with how everything went. 
Um, well, in case the listeners don't know, Zach, you had a, an incredible result on the Saturday in the vertical kilometre race where you came third in the what was called the Pitts Tree vertical race over 3.4 kilometres and just over a thousand metres of elevation gain. Um, what made you decide, Zach, to go for the back-to-back races on Saturday and Sunday? What, was it just the excitement of getting back racing internationally again? Uh, well, I, I had seen, uh, I, I've heard stories about the race from last year and previous years, and always, I always knew that it was it involved two races. And in my mind, it was sort of, I'm going out deadly here. I may as well make the most of it and get two races in while I can. And yeah. at the minute, I would say the VK was probably the race that was going to suit me more compared to the long race on the Sunday. But I've and in a way, it was excitement as well, getting to do two races, you know, because it sort of lets you know that it shows you that your body can cope with racing back-to-back if it ever had to be done. And, uh, yeah, because of my first time actually doing that race, it was, even though there, it was quite restricted in what they could do with the whole COVID-19 uh, restrictions, they still managed to put off a fantastic weekend of racing and uh, really, really glad that I travelled out it. Well, you had that great third place on the Saturday. What did you do, Zach, on Saturday night to help you recover for Sunday? Because on the Sunday you had a 21k against some of the top, top Italian runners who, who we, as you said at the top of the interview, they're world-renowned for how good they are. You have the Di Matteis twins, Francisco Pupi, who, who won the race as well. So what was Saturday night like for you after getting the fantastic third? After the VK, I was still a bit unsure of how to go about the whole recovery process. But coming from my past experiences in cycling, where I've done, I sort of just took on some of the things that I learned from when I was doing the cycling. And... Essentially, it was straight away food and straight away you're you're refueling for it. And it was a we had to walk back to our, our car to get left back down into Milano. So because we were at the top, we walked down. We actually walked. We didn't run because we knew that the running downhill would really really trash the legs. So we walked. Where I did start by the end of the walk, my legs didn't feel as tired as what they maybe would have if I'd run. And when we got back to our our hostel, we we were we got lunch, and as well, I went. I think I got some more food inside me, and uh, I actually went to sleep for ninety minutes. I just done a bit of an afternoon nap, which, and whenever I woke up, felt quite sluggish. But I then waited a few hours. I just done some light stretching, and just walked about uh, around the outside of the hostel and. Then in the evening after dinner, I went for a walk back down into the town. As they were there in the in the middle of Milano, there's a memorial, like a, a wall of fame, for the past winners of the race, and they were putting on the the names of last year's winners for the male and female races. So I went down to watch that ceremony being being done, and as well, just as a spur of the moment, I had some ice cream. I don't know whether that had an effect on how I raced the next day or what, but. Uh, yeah, it was fairly simple. There's nothing too exciting was done to help me recover. Uh, I think it was just more stuff that you would normally do, regardless of if you were racing the next day or not. 
One of the things that you said there, I thought was very important that you didn't just stay in your room and you didn't just stay lying on your bed or lying on the sofa, that you got up and you walked around. And I've heard a, a lot of runners saying that, that after races or after hard training sessions, the best recovery is um, just to go for a walk, just to get the blood flowing and get the legs moving. And the next day, you'll feel a lot better. And uh, by the sounds of it, that's what happened for yourself, Zach. You came out the next day. Um, one of your longest races, if not your longest race over the mountains, 21K, and you knocked out a super fifth just behind the former European champ, Martin Di Matthias, and well ahead of his brother, Bernard, who has also been on numerous international championship podiums. So I'm sure it must have been uh, nice to take his scalp, although I don't think it's the first time that you've taken a scalp. Yeah, I just made sure that I got a very good breakfast into me. I sort of had plenty of bananas, and I also, I don't normally do this, but I had actually a, a recovery drink before the race to help sort of, I don't know whether it's advisable to do that or not, but it was more so for me to help the muscles get that bit more recovery in before the race because the race started at 9.30 and this was at 6am. So I think it was to help the muscles prepare for another bit of a pattern. But yeah. as I say, even during my warm-up, I was I done a 20-minute warm-up with strides and stretching and I still didn't know how the legs would feel. Yeah. They, didn't, they didn't feel tired, they didn't feel fresh, they just felt sort of in between. <laughs> it was... I was still nervous, even on the start line, I was very, very nervous, didn't know how, I knew it was going to be a fast start, because it was quite flat running through the time before we hit the first couple of hills, but yeah, it was, it was a very good race, the, the, we climbed for about 50 minutes, 50, 55 minutes, and then the descent was just very, very fast. Well, listen, it sounded like it was a great raid in the mountains of northern Italy over the weekend, Zach, and it certainly turned a lot of heads back, back in Ireland with the third and the fifth place. But just like, was it a difficult decision at all for you to travel over to northern Italy, given given what's happened in the last couple of months with COVID nineteen? I wouldn't say it was a difficult decision. It was it was just a case of right. There's no Italy's in the in the green list for traveling. They seem to have uh, tackled everything well for in terms of precautions and keeping everyone safe. And as well, in my opinion, I would not have never have been invited to the race if the organisers didn't think that it was safe to bring international athletes over. But it, was, it wasn't just my concern. I did have friends and family who were concerned with me travelling, but uh, I think in, in, the, in the grand scheme of things, you're all, you're, I'm, at a big, I'm at a big risk going into work every day and not just going to Italy. So when up the options, I, was, I wanted the race and I felt that I'd been long enough at home without doing anything any racing or traveling so I, I was fairly confident going out I wasn't nervous about um other people because I kind of knew that Italy would be quite strict and measures of wearing a mask and sanitizing your hands and social distancing so yeah it was, in, a, in a way it was an easy decision to go uh but one I don't regret well, was there any um, COVID-19 protocols that were in place around race day? I think I read in one of the race reports, for example, that for the first 500 metres, the athletes had to wear masks. 
Yes, that's right. Um, when we were dropped, when we when we were lifted in the minibus to go to the race, there's only a certain amount allowed in the minibus, and everyone yeah. sat in their own seat and wearing a mask. And when we got uh, this is on Saturday morning for the VK, which started in quite a very very small hamlet of houses, so it was quite everyone was quite close together, but the organisers were keeping everyone apart, and where everyone had to wear a mask within the start finish and within the start line, sorry, and. Whenever everyone was lining up behind the tape for the st- before the start, they'd done an elite athlete introduction. So they called all the elite athletes through one at a time just as an introduction. And we were set into, it was like a Formula One grid at the, on the start line. Where okay. maybe you, were, you were one metre apart and you were placed on a line. They had a grid set out for all the athletes. So I was, I was in the second row with three other athletes and... Everyone was well distanced, so there's no problem in that way. And yes, as you say about the the mask, as soon as you hit, it wasn't quite as far as 500 meters. It was maybe two, 250 meters. The mask came off, and you wrapped it around your arm, and you had to keep it on you until you got to the finish line. Okay. And once you're over, yeah. once you got over the finish line, straight back on again. And spectators as well along the course all wearing masks. Okay, very good. Yeah, so it wasn't just a case of throwing the mask on the ground or whatever. Very clever, very practical solution. Stick it on your wrist and um, keep it with you until you get to the finish line. So as you got to the finish line, Zach, did you have to put the mask on as you were crossing the finish line? No. No, that wasn't one of the, uh, that was not part of the instructions. We weren't told that. It was a case of you get over the line and once you were able to set up and maybe take in what you've actually done, you're they just they were just saying you go pointing at your face to put your mask on. Okay. And okay. You, you weren't allowed um you weren't allowed to be in within the finish line. Once you'd finished your race, you had to leave the, the finish area and you weren't allowed back until unless you were going up onto the podium. And when we were called forward for the podium, we were all wearing our masks and we were presented with our trophies by everyone was wearing a mask as well. And it's probably one of the strangest podium photos I've ever been involved in. Everyone weren't ever like you have the top five in both the Saturday and Sunday races all wearing a mask. You can't actually see anyone smiling to show how happy they are. It's quite surreal in a way. Yeah, and given everything that happened, Zach, over the weekend, um, say over the next couple of months, I presume that you'd be okay to to travel and to race internationally. <laughs> Did anything put you off off racing internationally, or now that you've done it once, you'll happily do it again? I would happily do it again. I'm actually planning on going back out in three weeks' time, believe it or not. So, um, yeah, it's it, it's when you see how the Italians have, like, they probably suffered the worst out of all the countries over the last few months. So when you see how the the measures they are taking to make sure it doesn't happen again, there's a reassurance. They give you the reassurance that, look, we are safe. As long as you listen to our rules and go by our guidelines, you're more than welcome to come along and just you know, use some common sense in a way. Yeah, there was no requirement um, to do a COVID-19 test or anything like that, no? No. Um, when, you, when I entered Milan Airport, we got off the plane and they took your temperature. And as well, before I travelled, I got an email from the from the Ryanair regarding forms because they knew I was travelling to Italy. I had to fill in a contact tracing form. Okay. And when I got the passport control, 
they looked at my passport and they asked me where I had been in the last two weeks. And I had to give my form over. And it was the same coming back into Dublin. I had to ask, they asked me where I had been, where I was going to stay. And plus I had to also give another form into the Dublin authorities. Okay. And as you said, you were coming from Italy on the green list. So um, you can happily get back out training and training with your running buddies if you want. No 14-day uh, movement restriction uh, requirement there. Um, but like just before you went to Italy, you had a super race in Lugnaquilla. Um, only missing John Lennon's record <laughs> by four seconds. And would I be right in saying that that result, that performance, as well as Italy, of course, as well, it was probably a reflection of the couple of months that you had as a pro athlete in what you described as the furlough pro. <laughs> and was it from maybe March to May or June, maybe? Um, tell us about what the furlough pro meant for you and, and how you took that decision. Well, it was whenever at the start of the whole pandemic when countries were shutting down and then when the governments over here in the UK and Ireland were announcing that they would be, you know, they would be locked, they would be closing down the country for, it was at the start, if I remember right, it was three weeks. And I, on the eve of the announcement, I went into work the next day and I was told that I'd be placed on furlough for minimum three weeks. So I knew straight away, I have three weeks here of training. That was the first thing that came into my mind. It wasn't anything else. I was thinking, right, I've got three weeks of no work. I've got a chance to get fit here and just, as I say, live, like, live the life of a pro. But as, as it went on and the furlough was being extended for two to three months and there was no real indication of me going back to work anytime soon, I just, I just thought I'd talk, about, talk it over with my coach and I just thought, right, now's the time to get some serious training in and to really build a base because at, at, the, at the start, we didn't know how many races were going to be cancelled. We, we all thought, you know, once this is over, we'll be grand. We'll be able to maybe go and race in July and August without any, any problems. But whenever, I'd say, six or seven weeks in, I was really starting to feel fit starting to really feel the benefit of the training coming on. Although, oh, I, I did increase my mileage a bit. I, because I didn't have the, the stress of going to work every day, I was able to do all the things that a pro athlete would do normally, you know, have an afternoon nap, spend more time stretching, and just general things that you would never do because maybe you don't have the time to do it, just with being at work, maybe eight or nine hours a day. And... Um, just the quality of the sessions was better. I was able to knock out maybe if I'd done a tempo session on a Saturday, I was able to do a hill run on a, on a, on a Wednesday or a Thursday and do another session on a Saturday and with a long run on a Sunday. I was able just to constantly knock out consistent weeks. And I think I had 14 weeks where I was averaging maybe between 95 and 100 miles a week. Wow, and that's on the mountains as well, so that's an incredible training block. Um, I, I've heard you say before, Zach, as well, that you really wish that you could become a full-time runner. You were for that period of time. Do you think it might be a possibility to, to continue to be a full-time runner or, or to have the chance to do it over the coming years? What level do you think you might need to get to before maybe you get offered a full-time professional contract? Or 
are you happy with the with the balance maybe that you have now? The, the job is back. You, you can still train. You're not 100% focused on running because you often hear a lot of athletes who say that they become a full-time athlete, but they just become obsessed with running and it can be quite negative as well. So what, what are your thoughts on that, Zach? I, I think in the, grand, in the grand scheme of things, yes, I would is something I would love to do. If I was ever given the opportunity to become a full-time athlete, I would grab it with both arms. Like I would never turn down that opportunity. Yes. Like over the last over the three months off work, it really it gave me an insight as to what life would be like if I was and at that and if I did have the opportunity. Where to say, well, obviously you might have a bit more travel involved, going to training camps and maybe racing. But yeah, at the working full time at the minute. Well, I'm not. I'm actually back working three days a week now. Okay. Uh, but it means then the other two days I'm still like focus on my running, but. During when I am working, I do still run twice a day. I go out in the morning with my dog. My dog maybe do my dog covers about forty miles a week with me at the minute. Yeah, and I'm able to do a short, easy run in the morning, and then a run in the evening, maybe a bit longer. Sometimes I would do a session. And as you talked about, some athletes become obsessed with running whenever they're professional. I don't think I would have that problem because I, where I live, I live up on the side of a mountain in the Dramara Hills in Northern Ireland and it's quite I have lots to keep me busy I can a lot of the time in the evening after I had done my two runs and after dinner I was always going for a walk in the evenings through the fields and uh, I think if if you've always got something else to keep you occupied whenever you're not running that's a big big help it's like work at the minute is another distraction from running but which mentally is quite refreshing sometimes, but you always have that way inkling in the back of your head that just you know the full time running would just be a dream come true. Yeah, well, it sounds ideal the the location where you're at, Zach. And I know, for example, in Spain, I've mentioned it a couple of times in the podcast before that there's quite there's quite a lot of professional trail runners in Spain that have the support of the big brands like Nike and Adidas and Pablo Villa that we had on episode two. He's a full time Adidas trail runner. Have you reached out at all to, to any of the brands? I know I think you're you're sponsored by Salomon, I think, at the moment. Have you made any any approaches to Salomon or any companies about becoming a, pre- a professional athlete? Or do you think maybe you need to go up one more level before you might get that contract, like a lot of runners on the continent? Unfortunately, I think in the UK and Ireland, there's very few professional deals. But you see a lot more in Spain and France and maybe Italy as well. Uh I, I would think that the second point you made there about moving up a level, I think that would be the best way to describe it. I don't, I don't think that at the minute I'm at that stage where going professional is maybe the best thing because I'm yet to reach my peak. I haven't yes. really, and if you look at me compared to some athletes, they've achieved more than me, the better results than me, and yet they're not professional. So if they're not professional with what they're achieving, that shows you how hard it is to actually get that deal over the line to be a, to be a pro um i'm still i'm only in the sport four years i've hopefully i have many years ahead of me to, to get to that stage but at the minute i think it's a case of me just learning more about the sport becoming a better runner becoming a better racer 
getting more results and just enjoying the process of at this stage of my development as a runner. Um, I'm 24. Hopefully, as I say, I have many years ahead of me and I'm just looking forward to seeing where this journey takes me. And if at any stage in my career I do have that opportunity to sign a, a contract and live like a pro athlete, you know, that'll be a journey, I'll be a journey, a journey worth, worth doing, you know. Yeah, well, it sounds like, Zach, I think you're in a real sweet spot at the moment because, you know, you're, you're 24, you, you're beginning to get that, well, you have that vital experience now from racing internationally over the last couple of years, your body's getting stronger and stronger and it's going to continue to get stronger as well. So, you know, I'm sure your expectations are very high and anybody that sees your own, you know, I think is very excited about what you can do um, for yourself, for, for Ireland as well, for, for your club back home as well. I, I think there's going to be some great results over the next couple of years. And I know with Pablo that I mentioned earlier on, like he only got his big full-time Adidas contract in his late 20s, just only last year. And he only got that after he won UTMB, for example. Um, so, yeah, it might take a big win or a big podium and maybe even another two or three years. But with a bit of luck, hopefully that pro contract will come for you, Zach, as well. Um, you've made a fantastic, fantastic transition, Zach, from cycling, as, a, as you mentioned, with various podiums in national junior races, um, a fantastic transition to, to mountain running. Is there any overall general tips that you can give to people listening, maybe people that are just starting out on their mountain running journey as well and transitioning in from other sports? What would be, say, your, your top two or three tips to, to people starting off, like you were only four years ago, as you said? Uh I would say the one tip, well, the one thing that I did whenever I was transitioning into running was I made sure that um, I was in the right, I got into the right environment with my club who were, when, whenever I started off, I, when I joined Newcastle, they, they at the time, any time you would hear about hell running or fell running around where I live, Newcastle are always the club at the forefront of it all. All their athletes were always winning races. So I knew that that was the club to go to in terms of to get experience for mountain running. And when I, when I went to my first club session and they knew that I was interested in running the hills, they put me in touch with a lot of the older runners in the club, the veterans of the sport. And the advice that they gave me was second to none. You know, they really, really helped me get find my feet in the sport. They were taking me into the mornings every weekend, showing me all these different routes of where I could use from training, giving me advice on how to race how to train and uh, yeah the club environment is very important I think in terms of finding starting out in the sport because you have everyone you have people in the club who have been running all their lives and there's nothing there's no such thing as bad advice in my opinion come when a runner has been at, at the sport that long like you need all the help you can get to get you going and I think maybe another tip would be to don't set out don't be expect don't be setting out to Take the sport seriously so early, so early on. It's important, so important to enjoy the sport. If you don't enjoy it, every run becomes a chore. And in the end, it, it, it's the same way cycling became for me. It became a chore towards the end of it. And I just there's no enjoyment. And now that I've found running, and I don't think at any stage since I've started running, I haven't enjoyed the sport. Um, just go to show you when you enjoy what you're doing. 
it makes everything so much easier. And when you have that enjoyment and you're out running with friends and you're exploring different routes, maybe it's around home, it can be a different country. That sort of thing's unbeatable. It just shows you the opportunities that you have in running. If you do so happen to take that risk and start racing, and if you find out you're quite good at it, again, there's so many chances you, you have to travel the world with running. And yeah, it's a case of enjoyment. Number one, get yourself into a good running club or into a training group that's going to help you develop as a runner. Number two, enjoy it. And number three, uh, oh, number three, be invest in a good pair of running shoes. Yes. You know yourself, Owen, it's uh, the amount of shoes you go through and running is, is serious. And especially with the mountains, the shoes take a lot more abuse than what they would on the road. So a good pair of trail runners or mountain running shoes, get yourself a good pair of shoes and that shoe set. Uh, you can tackle any terrain with the right pair of shoes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've seen you loyal to your Salomon shoes over the last couple of years uh, and they've always served you well, Zach. And, and I know from being on trips with you as well with the Irish team that from from observing you from, from afar, there was no secrets. Um, you know, sitting down at dinner with you, you were just eating vegetables and meat. There was no fancy diets. And, and one thing that I always remember is that you know, even the day after, the, the night after a race where, you know, maybe five or six years ago, I, I would have seen a lot of lads um, celebrating uh, post-race, going out late into the night, um, enjoying the party and, you know, just wrecked the next day where I know I've seen you on Irish trips. Get get to bed pretty early after, after an important world championship or European championship race. And you're out running early the next day and loving every minute of it. So maybe I might add that to, to the keys to your success is just keeping <laughs> it simple, eating good, healthy food, as I've seen you do, and uh, and not destroying your body off the mountains as well, looking after yourself and getting out and enjoying those runs, as I've seen you do with your, with your mates on the Irish team over the last couple of years. Yeah. No, as I say, I, I don't drink alcohol, so that getting drunk is no problem to me I can easily go away and not not get carried away as I've seen certain athletes do over the years yeah um, yeah as I say I, I, I don't I do like after a race I do like to go out and go out and usually there's an athlete's party after it's good to go out and just see everyone when they're not relaxed they're not in race mode it's it's good just to get out and get the head shot and uh, yeah as I say going to go in the bed early especially when you're in the countries that you've never been to before like last year in the european championships in zermatt like the next morning i mean some of the junior athletes we get up i think our flight we were leaving to go to the airport at maybe 10 a.m we were up at 5 30 a.m and we went out and we done i think it was maybe 90 minutes up on the trails behind zermatt and to see the sunrise coming up over the back of the matterhorn was something absolutely unreal like you would never see that, in my opinion, you would never see that type of uh, environment when you're racing on the road or the track. It's just, that's the sort of, that's the sort of special things a mountain running can give you. And I don't intend to let any of those chances ever pass me by. As you say, waking up the next morning hungover, you can't really go for it. It's hard to go for a run, but when you wake up fresh, ready to go, maybe just a bit battered after the race, you know, those are the, those are the things that you remember about running. That's really yeah. something else. 
well, listen, we're, we're talking about running for Ireland uh, and just to let the listeners know what you've done for Ireland, Zach. In, in your first um, race in the World Championships, you came 76th. The next time you went out, you moved up to 52nd, 47th and 35th in Argentina last November. And in the European Championships, you've jumped from 53rd the first time around up into the top 20 in Europe, 19th. Um, is there any of those World Championships or European Championship races that stand out for you? Uh, yeah, well, I would say obviously the first one would stick out for me. Uh, it was my, I'd only been in the sport maybe six, seven months before I'd done the trial and I won the trial and got onto the team. So making sure. the team for the first time was an incredibly, incredibly proud moment. Um, never at the start did I think I'd be running for, uh, running for Ireland, but it was a, an eye-opener when you see the standard of athletes that compete at world level, and when you're on the team with veterans of the Irish team, such as Brian McMahon, Ian Conroy, and Brian Fury, you know, you can only take, they're always passing on their their tips to you. Like, this is how world might run it is. This is what it takes to be up there with the best. And it just added fuel to the fire as to, this is what I need to do to be up there. And then, I'd say the, the first time breaking into the European top 20 was was like, that was the moment when I said, right, this is this is a breakthrough race. This is now is the time to put the head down and see how far I really can go in the sport because I think it might have been Ireland's highest finish in the European Championship in recent years. So that was quite encouraging, knowing that I had achieved that sort of that, that result. And especially it was an up and down course, which don't really suit me as such. The uphills would suit me better. Yeah. But it was one of them days where everything came together. The body felt good and the rate the course suited me. And just one of those days, everything clicked. And yeah, I was really, really proud of that moment. Well, I remember, um, Zach, the, the, the moment in the World Championships in 2018 when I realised how good and how strong you were. Um, I don't know if you remember the moment about maybe one kilometre towards the finish when myself and Mark Ryan had clawed you back over maybe the last five or six kilometres and we got tucked in right behind you. And, you know, I think oftentimes when we're away with the Irish team, our biggest competitors are our teammates because, you know, we want to make sure that we score for the team and we're in the top three positions. And whoever is the first man home for Ireland is always uh, something to aim for. And I'm sure Mark would have been thinking the same of himself. Oh, we're just after catching Zach. Zach has been incredible the last two years, our number one runner. Maybe, maybe we can get in ahead of him here to the finish line. But in fairness to you, Zach, as soon as you saw me and Mark just tucked in behind you with about a kilometre to, to go, you just put on the boosters and you just rocked it home and finished comfortably ahead of myself and Mark in the end. And for me, it just showed how strong and determined you were at 22 years of age. It was was a great performance that day and you've gone on and become even stronger and faster. I do remember that moment. Uh, That was was a very, very steep section of the course, if I remember right. Yeah, just before the end, Zach, yeah. Yep, that was incredible. Like, I I think maybe I went through a rough patch in the middle. If you remember, we ran through the, the sort of wooded section before we came on to the last kilometer and I went through a real rough patch, wasn't feeling great. I think maybe the altitude was maybe getting them in the heat. But yeah, whenever I realised you two were behind me, it was like, uh, I got nervous. 
but when I don't know how I find the legs to carry it to actually get that kick in. But as you say, it's always a, a motivator to be the first Irishman home. And thankfully, I was first that day. But it was a great run from yourselves to claw me back. Uh, but it shows you your your it shows your strength and Mark's strength from running the mountains over the years that you can you are able to pace the race right. And it was a good result overall for the team that day. We had a yeah. very very strong team that year. It was a good day out um, all around, I remember. Um, Zach, what do you think in terms of this year? Um, I presume the World Championships in Lanzarote in November um, is on your, your race target list. Whether it goes ahead or not, who knows? But I presume you have that on your radar. Yeah, obviously the Walk the World is the biggest race of the year. You're always going to have that in your, on your radar. But I think at the minute, with the, the amount of uncertainty and, and with races at the minute, it's there. It's uh, it's on my calendar, but at the minute I'm sort of looking short term because I don't want to get too caught up and focusing on the worlds and next thing that doesn't happen. So at the minute it's a case of focusing on what can be done in the next month or two months racing, and then I think once the official decisions made on the worlds that it's going ahead or it's not going ahead, then I'll be able to put all my focus into that race and hopefully come away with a good result should it go ahead. But hopefully it does. Like it wouldn't be the same. Not, it wouldn't be right having a one year where you don't put on that Irish singlet. It would be very, very weird. But the amount of athletes that sort of target the trial race to get selected for the team, there's quite a high number. So and the, there's only been four spots in the team. Like There's four athletes who want to have that honour of representing Ireland at a World Championships. And hopefully it goes ahead and we all do get that opportunity again, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Fingers crossed, Zach. Um, I know, Zach, yeah, last year you had a fantastic um, sixth finished in the World Mental Running Association's World Cup. And a lot of the races you're doing this summer are part of the Rimra um, World's um, Cup circuit as well. Over the next couple of years, do you think you'll stay on that circuit? Or have you had any thoughts about doing, say, any of the sky running championships? Um, the new Spartan race series, which has big dollars behind it. You have the Ultra Trail World Tour as well. How do you see yourself progressing as an athlete over the next five years in terms of what mountain races you're going to do? Well, I'm still young at the minute. I wouldn't think that going into the the longer races at the minute isn't on my radar. I'm, I'm, as I say... Sunday past was my longest ever race, 13 miles. And a lot of the longer races, as you used to talk about the Ultra Trail World Tour, Spartan race, they're all very, very long over the marathon distance. At the minute, I'm not ready for that. Uh, I think at the minute, the world, the, the mountain running World Cup circuit suits me at the minute because the races are anything between 10 and maybe 20K. So it's a, I'm st- it's a case of I need to learn how my body works over those distances before moving into the longer ones i i would some days love to move up to like say the marathon distance like for the the golden trail series for example a lot of their races are maybe 18 till marathon distance and i'll say that's over the next couple of years anyway that would be my, my target and uh in terms of five years we'll just have to see what happens when we get that far it's hard to really know how i'm going to perform but as you say, like some of those races do have the big money behind them, but at the same time, it's nice to have the money in the races and to get the prize money, but 
in reality, it's it's the love of the sport that I'm doing it for. You know, it's was it the, I've heard that I actually heard a saying there two weeks ago was a uh, for the love of the game, not the fame. And at the minute, that's what I'm uh, the enjoyment of it as as much as as what's getting me at the minute. Um, I think if I can prove myself over the shorter distances to start off with, and consistently do that, then the move up the the big stuff might be in the cards. But who knows? Just have to wait and see. Yeah, Alison, it sounds like, you know, you have a, a wise head on those young shoulders, Zach, and uh, what wise words, and I might finish maybe with these wise words that you said a, a couple of months ago as well. I think in an interview with the World Mountain Running Association, the mountains aren't going anywhere anytime soon. So just keep calm, weather the storm, and we will all come through this. And Zach, you've certainly come through the last couple of months in flying colours. You're stronger than ever. You've had some fantastic results over the last couple of weeks. Um, you've been putting Ireland on the map at a world level in terms of mental running over the last couple of years. And I've no doubt uh, that you're going to get bigger and stronger. And those results will just keep on um, coming and coming. And I know certainly you have the, the whole of the Irish mountain running community behind you. So listen, Zach, thanks a million for coming on the podcast this week. And all the best with the rest of the season. Thank you very much, Owen. Hopefully I'll see you in the future some stage and hopefully we'll be in Lanzarote together. Yeah, definitely, Zach. Talk to you soon, mate. All the best. All the best. Bye-bye. Well, that was Zach Hanna, and he may not be a professional runner just yet, but he sure sounds like one, and he is running like one as well, with some incredible performances this year to back up the fantastic runs that he's had for Ireland, for his club, for Salomon as well over the last couple of years, and I've no doubt Zach is going to get stronger and stronger. A big thank you to Richard Noonan, who joined us at the start of the show, Richard, the Secretary of the Irish Mental Running Association, as he brought us through the results of the World Championship trial race down in Ballyhora in Limerick. A big congratulations to all of those who looks like they have made um, the team for the World Championships in Lanzarote and have booked their tickets over to the Canary Islands. Well done to everybody involved in what was a great day's racing in Limerick. Thank you as always to Rene who joined us on the show earlier on talking about the importance of the long run and one of the key points was remember that the long run doesn't always need to be in a Sunday morning. It can be on any day to ensure that the body is fully charged and fully refreshed to get through its two, three or four hours or whatever it might be. And if we're lucky enough, sure we might even get a medium long run in during the week as well. A big thank you as always to our show sponsor, Eco Trail Wicklow, taking place on September 26th this year. And finally, a special thank you to Basic Needs for our very cool soundtrack with trail runner Shane O'Mahony from County Cork. Have a great week, everybody. Everybody, get your running gear on, let's go.